Every town has a dark side. This is Andrew Fitzgerald from the Every Town Podcast, where every single week we dive into insane and mysterious true crime stories, most of which you've never heard of. Stories like the bizarre disappearance of Tyler Davis in Columbus, Ohio, a 29-year-old father trying to find his way back to his hotel when he disappeared and was never heard from again, and Elizabeth Shelf from Lugoff, South Carolina, who was abducted from her driveway by a madman and taken to his underground bunker in the woods. We give you all the details you're interested in hearing about without any fluff or fillers, because ain't nobody got time for that. We cover everything from psychopaths to poltergeists, so go check out the Everytown podcast, because every town, no matter how nice it may seem, has a dark side. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. Hey, welcome once again to another episode of Strange Planet. Indeed it is. Thanks for sticking me in your ear. And if you'd like to get deeper into Strange Planet, you might want to consider becoming a premium subscriber. It's real easy to do. Just clink, click on the link in the episode notes. Click or clink on the episode notes, or the, the link in the episode notes, strangeplanet.supportingcast.fm, strangeplanet.supportingcast.fm. You gain access to commercial-free listening, bonus episodes, and even a subscription to my monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, strangeplanet.supportingcast.fm. All right, we're going to delve into this horrendous weekend in which saw about a thousand innocent Israelis butchered and slaughtered and tortured, kidnapped, raped, you name it, beheaded. An absolute nightmare scenario when Hamas uh, somehow managed to breach security fences. They came by air, they came by sea, they came by land, and uh, they went door to door to kibbutzes, to neighborhoods. Uh, they attacked and shot uh, teenagers attending a musical festival. Uh, and now we find ourselves, it seems, on the precipice of perhaps world war. Now talk about Iran getting involved and the Taliban getting involved. It all sounds very biblical and prophetic. Is it? Is this a fulfillment of biblical prophecy? We're welcoming back an old friend of the program, Ali Siadatan, founder of Think Again Productions here in Canada, multimedia teaching ministry, shedding light on mysteries and treasures of scriptural knowledge, making the Bible more real than ever. And uh, thinkagainproductions.com, the website, we've uh, linked up to that in the episode notes as well. Ali, welcome back. How are you? Fine. Thank you for having me, Richard. You know, I've been talking I've been talking about this on the radio all week on my my daily show, and uh, people are scared. They're scared yeah. when you hear, you know, Hamas talking about this. Uh, you know, Friday the thirteenth is, uh, is is the day for Muslims to uh, worldwide to rise up, and uh, yes, yes, uh, we're seeing people protesting in support and celebrating what happened in Israel, the 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 the, the butchery. I mean, is this is this 
Is this in the Bible somewhere? Is this biblical prophecy? Yeah, that's something that a lot of people are pondering, I think, right now. From what I'm seeing online, um, it's on all of our minds, and there are reasons for it. Um, when it comes to this biblical view of world events, um, I would just want to start by kind of establishing the, the context, which is that the Bible does not suddenly deviate from its central message of redemption and restoration and talk about geopolitics. The reason these prophecies exist in the Bible that talk about world events is because they tie into the central theme. Um, as God is taking the planet towards a place of full redemption, which is physical healing, uh, the removal of all the problems of the world at every level, you know, internal, external, individual, global, and healing the world and ushering in a, a utopia, basically, you know, that we call the messianic kingdom. That's that's the focal point of the writing of the entire Bible. Um, you know, the, the kingdom of Christ, of Jesus. On the way to that, there is an enemy, you know, that has a stake in the world as it is in the age of empire. And this enemy wants to um, derail this plan of God and prolong the age of empire. And the way that this enemy does that is by attempting to break scripture. What do I mean by that? When you look at the prophecies of the Bible, the prophetic tapestry that the prophets of the Bible point to paint for us concerns events that happen in this holy land, in this land of Israel. They concern this people of Israel, these people who've entered into an ancient covenant, you know, um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Paul says that those covenants are irrevocable in his letter to the Romans. The, the covenanted people, this land and the city of Jerusalem specifically, there are, that is the climax of the Bible's prophecies uh, preceding the coming of Christ and the ushering in of this new age. So the Bible paints a picture and tells us about the world from the point of view of that place and these people. And God says that, I guess it would be too big for God to write a book that involved all the nations. So you have to pick a character. And so we follow like a movie, this character, even though there is a lot more going on in the world. But when we see these circumstances happen to this character, you know, we get clues as to where we are in this forward motion. And what a character he picked because Israel, time and time again, is center stage. I mean, you look, it's, just, it's, a, it's, it's the size of El Salvador, a tiny, yes. tiny little country. Yes. Uh, and, and yet it seems to be the focal point of everything geopolitically on this planet. Yes. You look at, for instance, um, the... The, why is it that Israel is the focal point? Well, because God says in his in his in the Bible that He does nothing other than that which He speaks through His servants, the prophets. This is what He says in the Old Testament. He does nothing other than that which He speaks through His servants, the prophets. He utters His plan and then does it. In fact, that's the underlying narrative structure of the Bible. God says and God does. Even the Gospels record the period of the Messiah's life that fall within the scope of biblical prophecy. God said and God did. So the enemy is attempting to erase Israel off the face of the map in order to remove the character upon whom these prophecies are spoken. 
if they're not here to live this plan out, then the Messianic kingdom doesn't come and the age of empire is prolonged. They can then create a world in their own image and even export it into the heavens. It's a long-term plan, but this is the strategy in this game of chess. For instance, in, we know in the book of Genesis, Satan didn't kill Adam that he wanted to get rid of. Obviously, he saw him as somehow a competition to his ambitions. He simply um, invited him to, he suggested, that's all, that he break the law that would condemn him to death in God's court. So there was a ruse there involved, it seems, a strategy. You know, you could say, I just made a suggestion. You know, this is the one who's to bring your instructions. He's a, the, your image bearer. So the same thing is happening here, where by destroying Israel, the, the enemy, the, the, the powers and principalities that are behind this story, this cosmic tale that we find ourselves in, are attempting to erase the character that would break scripture and uh, remove the this idea of the coming of Christ. So this is this is the level at which the battle is being fought. They are reading the blueprint of what God has revealed through his servants, and they are attacking the characters that are destined to live that blueprint. Um, they're also filling the world with misconceptions about what is in the Bible through alternative religions and revelations that have their roots in them. That's why they're so powerful. Perhaps it's like going ahead of something and putting weeds. You know, when the children of Israel came there the first time, the land is filled with giants, the sons of Anak, the Anakim, the Raphaim, the Zanzumim. How do they get there? Well, apparently the sons of God uh, and the daughters of men, that's where we are to find the root of that story. And that is an idiom for angels. And in this case, fallen angels. So it's as though the enemy reads the plans of God. God reveals to Abraham the boundaries of the land. And the enemy goes ahead and plants weed, plants obstacles, plants, you know, the um, the machinery of death and destruction. So after this period of second diaspora, after the Roman temple was destroyed and the gospel went out from Israel and the Holy Spirit was given to the nations, there was the prophecies that there would come a day one day that Israel would return to this land to begin the birth pang years that would, get, that would see history itself go into labor and give birth to a new age, the Messianic kingdom. And the enemy would be given one last empire, and there would be a series of attempts by this enemy, by this angelic enemy, to thwart the plans of God. And I think that is a subject of Bible prophecy. The wars and that we read in the Bible, they are not just any wars. They are specifically the wars that record the attempts of a supernatural enemy, a, a spiritual dark force to it to to, you know, thwart the plans of God. And so God is going ahead of us, I think, with these prophecies to comfort us, to say, no, I knew this even thousands of years ago. It's all in my hands. I'm the one in sovereign. I'm the one in charge. I'm the one bringing it, defeating it, uprooting it. It's all good. And comfort each other with these words, you know, A, that this is a sign that your ultimate redemption, salvation is near, that we're on the verge of having all of our problems resolved. And at the same time, comfort each other knowing that I'm sovereign over this process and here's the blueprints so yes we're now we're asking ourselves is this particular conflict because there has been many in the past let's say you know um, 50 years um, the, 
is this one just another skirmish? Because they, they have them often. You know, there was just the Gaza yeah. war at the beginning of Biden's presidency. Um, is this one more or is there more to this one? Is this one of the ones recorded in the Bible? Right. right. Yeah, we had the therefore change the world. Yes, because this one happens almost 50 years to the day exactly of the Yom Kippur War when Israel, there was a surprise attack uh, uh, against Israel. But this one, I think, in many people's minds is different because of the, the heinousness. Um, and, you know, we don't have confirmation on all of these reports, but it appears as if babies were, were murdered. Yes. Holocaust survivors Yes. Executed on Facebook. Yes. Uh, oh, on their own their own Facebook account. Yes, yeah, so that their families could see yes. their loved ones being executed. The heinousness is what I think has many people shocked. Not only shocked, but thinking this is something different. There is something else going on here. Uh I mean it, it's it's a it's a horrible battle, but it's also elements of spiritual warfare. We'll um We'll take a quick time out, Ali, and come back and, and discuss further. Ali Siadatan from Think Again Productions, right here on Strange Planet. Don't go away. The truth will set you free. free, free. But first, it will really tick you off. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Ali Siadatan, thinkagainproductions.com. So my uh, earlier point about this one being different, the heinousness, uh, it doesn't, it's not just a war. This is spiritual warfare. There's, I mean, it's just, it's what we're seeing is evil perpetrated here by Hamas, murdering babies and elderly people. This is, this, you know, even wars have rules. There are no rules yeah. here. It's just yeah, they're, butchery, they're in, savagery. They're indoctrinated in since childhood. I mean, it's a long story, and I think we kind of deflect us from from our conversation. But here's the summary of it: um, the Mufti of Jerusalem, uh, whose name was Husseini, um, and he went and visited Hitler, and he was really essentially an Arab Nazi, and he said, you know, that he wanted to eradicate uh, the Jews in the Middle East, uh, and and. Hitler gave him lots of, you know, resources to do that. And to accomplish that goal, um, he founded the Muslim Brotherhood. And if you look at the propaganda that was being distributed in Arabic, it was basically German propaganda um, against the Jews just translated into Arabic. The same caricatures, the same pictures, the same words. And Hamas is the militant wing of the Muslim Brotherhood. So it has that aspect to it. There, there's, it's, there's a deep anti-Semitism built into its ancient fabric. Not, it's not that ancient, it goes back you know, to World War II. Then you have um, this constant pejorative, diminutive preaching from the clerics concerning the Jews. Their identity is being erased. They're pigs, they're rats, they're this, they're that. And you mix that with this, and then you kind of put it in the hearts of young men who feel at a disadvantage, who feel robbed, who feel oppressed who feel whatever they're being told and you teach that to them since childhood and you fill them with the idea that there's a righteousness to this violence so it's a fabricated mindset and then you unleash them against the object that you have trained them 
to despise and see in a very diminished, inhuman way. So then, you know, and you say this is in the service of your God. So there's maybe even your conscience is clear and, and there's a euphoria associated with it in the mind of that young boy. So so, so the, it kind of brings us to this place. You mentioned the Yom Kippur War, and I want to circle back to that because I think that's important. So there is, what made the Yom Kippur War um, unique was that it happened during an appointed day of the Lord, a, a day that God had set in his prophetic calendar. It was the Day of Atonement. It wasn't a Jewish cultural holiday. It was something that God had created. And it, it's a holy day. It speaks of the Messiah, actually. They attacked on this day. And there are many similarities between that war and this one. This one also happened on an appointed day. This one happened on Sukkot. That one happened on Yom Kippur. They're 50 years apart, which is a very important number in the Bible, to the day. That one happened on October 6th in the Gregorian calendar. This one on October 7th, but really at night, like right after October 6th. It was like at 1 a.m. or something on the 7th. So it was on the same day to the day. 50 is a number of jubilee where inheritance has returned. It's also 49 years plus one, and 49 is seven times seven. In the Bible, that's complete cycle. Seven is a complete cycle, and seven times seven is a very complete cycle. And then you add one day to it. It's a new beginning. So, so it, was, it was the significance of the precision of the 50 days. The, the fact that they're both on days that God appointed as holy, yet the enemy sees as opportunity because they're all busy. I saw a Hamas leader on an Arabic show explaining why they chose that day. And he said they're busy with their holiday and festivities. They're not looking, essentially. But it's interesting, you know, uh, how God sees things, how they see things. So in both cases, both wars and were a surprise. Both had an initial success. They came from two fronts, north and south. And the Yom Kippur War ended the wars with the Arab world. There was the 1948, you know, 56, uh, 67, 73. And then that was it. It ended, it ended. There was no more coalition of Arab countries that ever organized against Israel. And it led to an armistice with Egypt that was signed under Sadat in 1979. But it, but that was the result of the Yom Kippur War. And, and there's been a cold peace with Egypt since. So it was interesting that as though um, the fact that they chose that day uh, got a very strong response that changed the, the fabric of the Middle East. Another interesting uh, parallel is that a few days ago when this war began, um, Netanyahu and the um, uh, cabinet of the, the parliament of Israel activated Article 40 LF, which is they declared war, officially declared war. When you activate that article, it opens the hands of the government to all kinds of resources and the army as well in their democratic system where there is some law and you can't just do whatever you want. When was the last time they declared war and activated Article 40? 50 years ago on Yom Kippur. So that's another parallel. So for me, there are too many parallels here, but especially the appointed day. So I want to kind of look at a passage briefly, excerpts, that talks about a war on Sukkot in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures. 
I see clearly so that essentially prophecies pattern, meaning that in the Hebrew prophetic poetry, the prophecy is relevant to the time of the prophet who receives it, to the immediate circumstance of the prophet, but it, it begins a, pro, a pattern throughout history that eventually culminates into a final fulfillment and is never repeated again. So there are patterns. It says, behold, a day of the Lord is coming, Zechariah chapter 14, when your plunder will be divided in your midst. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to wage war. And this is this is the physical Jerusalem, but it's also a spiritual Jerusalem. It is the city that God has put his hand on to be the capital of the Messianic kingdom. That his son will rule from there, the throne of David. This is the city that symbolizes the forward movement of God's plans. So Jerusalem here also means against God's plans, you know. Um, the nation is to wage war. The city shall be captured, the houses ransacked, and the woman raped. So the ransacking of homes and the raping of women, that is something that we have seen in this horrible incident that you mentioned. It says half the city will be exiled but the remainder of the people will be not cut off. So I think Jerusalem is divided into two. East Jerusalem is mainly Arab Israelis, and uh, West Jerusalem is uh, Jews. And right now we even saw uprisings in East Jerusalem right now. And that, as part of that day you mentioned, they are also planning to come to the Al-Aqsa Mosque, you know, on the Temple Mount. Mm -hmm. And then it talks about how God himself lands on the Mount of Olives with his heavenly host and, you know, personally enters the battle against this in this particular case defeats the enemies and then afterwards it, it gives great detail on how he does it but that doesn't concern us right now then it says at the end then all the survivors from all the nations that attack jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king the lord of heaven's armies so there are armies in heaven and celebrate Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacle, which is which is the way we say it in English. That is the time of this present war that we're experiencing. So this particular uh, war that I'm reading, Zechariah 14, ends with a celebration at Sukkot. And then it says that all the nations have to send representatives um, you know, and if they don't, they they get in, you know they'll be inflicted by these plagues if they don't come to celebrate Sukkot. So, the millennial reign of Christ, because the Book of Revelation gives us the precision that this reign will last for a thousand years, one day. No one before the flood, where people lived long lives, lives a thousand years. Even Methuselah dies in his nine hundredth. Later, we're told both by Moses and Peter that a thousand years is but a day for the Lord, and a day is a thousand years. So I get the impression that one heavenly day is one thousand human years. So we won't, we, in the fallen world, we never make it to a thousand. But in this kingdom where things are healed, the Sabbath of history, we will live a thousand years. We will live that healed complete number. And so one day, one in the heavenly calendar, but every day, Every year at Sukkot, at the Feast of Tabernacle, we will go to Jerusalem, it says, to worship the king for these thousand years. So it's interesting that this war uh, that is happening right now in Sukkot is also against Jerusalem, is also against the will of God. It also has ransacking and ravishing women. So there's a pattern here. So I expect perhaps that the rest of it will come through, that God will then personally 
in some ways, in you know, this is this is a pattern. It's not this war that I'm reading about, but there's a pattern because prophecy is a pattern that God will now respond because this war happened on his appointed day. What is Sukkot? It remembers the wandering in the deserts. When the children of Israel wandered in the desert, they had a tent of meeting that God told Moses to build, which is a replica of a heavenly temple. And the presence of God would descend in the middle of it. He organized them in a camp. And then he, he would move, and the cloud would move, and the Levites would carry it, and then the uh, camp of Israel would follow it. So it represented the presence of God dwelling with man and the providence of God over man. And it had 70 sacrifices that were offered as part of the ritual of Sukkot when it was instructed. And some say the 70 sacrifices represent perhaps the 70 sons of God that are behind the nations or even the 70 nations. So there's something, you know, something is forgiven, something is judged. There's the presence of God with man. Um, and there is this war in Zechariah 14 that has a patterns that are similar to this one that ends with a victory of God and a celebration of the millennial reign beginning on the Feast of Tabernacle, uh, the last of the appointed days. Jesus came on Passover. Oh, he was crucified on Passover. The Holy Spirit came on Shavuot or Pentecost. And it seems that, that the history of Israel began on Passover when at the Exodus, when they celebrated it, and it will end on this faithful coming Sukkot in the future, of Zachariah's writings, where they will enter the land of milk and honey, the Messianic kingdom. So the history of Israel goes from Passover to Scott. So, so for me, this is a signaling system, that the similarities between this and the Yom Kippur War, that catches my attention. And the fact that there is a war that involves Sukkot in the Bible, it catches my attention and it says to me, God is telegraphing to us that the blueprint of the last war 50 years ago which happened on the appointed day is useful for understanding the events of this war. Um, there are two fronts. There's a surprise and initial victory, but the defeat of the enemy will change the landscape of the Middle East the way that that war did as well. The defeat of the enemy. In other words, we are to understand from the Bible mm -hmm. that Hamas will be defeated and right. Israel will prevail. All right, well, let's take another time out and um, dig a little bit further. LEC at 10, Think Again Productions, right here on Strange Planet. Welcome back. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Ali Siadatan, thinkagainproductions.com. Um, the concern is that many people have right now is that this struggle, this titanic battle with the evil Hamas um, quite, could quite easily spread. In fact, there are already signs. Um, I believe Israel is sending troops to the northern border with Lebanon, getting ready to do battle with Hezbollah. The Taliban in Afghanistan have asked permission from various countries between them and Israel for they for them to have sort of free passage so that they can go and join the battle. Um, Iran, of course, which is funding Hamas and Hezbollah, they seem very anxious to get into the into the fray. Israel seems quite willing to respond in kind if it comes to that. 
So this this battle in particular uh, could it could it expand and become the you know the the the, the battle of Gog and Magog or Gog of Magog? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, the chief of the general staff of the Pakistan Armed Forces says if Israel launches a ground operation against Gaza Strip, we will provide ballistic missile support to Hamas. This is Pakistan. They just uh, put this out five hours ago. So more and more Muslim countries are rising. And the new Taliban is different from the old Taliban. The old Taliban was associated with the Salafis of Saudi Arabia. The new Taliban is Muslim Brotherhood. It belongs to the same group that Hamas does and has an office in Doha, Qatar, and Qatar is both an ally of the Islamic Republic and in, in some strange ways also a NATO country, unofficial NATO country. It's very strange. There's a prophecy in Amos that says for three sins of Gaza, even for four, I will not relent because she took captive whole communities and sold them to Edom, which is Jordan. And there are a lot of Palestinians that live in Jordan. I will send fire on the walls of Gaza that will consume her fortresses. This is Amos 1, verse 6 to 7. And prophecy is pattern. So this would have been relevant before the time of Amos. But as long as Gaza exists and as long as she challenges the will of God, which is a blessing to Gaza, if if Gaza allowed God's will to unfold in the Holy Land, this is what people don't understand. God intends this for, for, let's say, the Jewish people because it's a blessing to the world. It says, to God says to Abraham, in you, the families of the earth will be blessed. But ironically, they're deceived to carry arms and challenge the will of God. They're deceived by powers and principalities, and it brings this judgment over them. So we, it's important, I think, to reach out to people in freedom from deception rather than to hold back and agree. But you made a great point. Where is this going? And could it become that war that is so famous in Ezekiel 38, 39? Yes, I think so. I think I'm watching to see. I think this is different. This is special. And could it become that? Um, Yes, for the following reasons. When I look at that war, I see, first of all, that, um, again, it has patterns of Armageddon, but it has distinctions as well. First of all, I don't see the Semites in that war. I see mostly Japhetites and Hamites. In this one, Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states might sit this one out. Um, You know, there's Pakistan, Afghanistan. These are not Semite people. Iran, you're not talking about Semites. You're talking about Hamites. You're talking about Japhetites. Uh, Mainly the Persians and Medes are Japhetites. There are some Semites in the very south of Iran, the Elamites, I guess, but that's not how the Persians are understood. Um, you're looking at Turkey, not Semites. You're looking at, at where the Muslim hordes uh, that are non-Arabic speaking are existing today. The stands of Russia, Uzbekistan, uh, Tajikistan. Um, Afghanistan itself has become a hotbed of Islamic fundamentalism since the Taliban have taken over. And of course, Chechnya. The leader of the Muslims of Chechnya has come out and said, that we want to be a peacekeeping force in Gaza, send us over with the Russian flag in their hands. Um, so definitely I see if the Yom Kippur War deal with the Arab Islamic uh, forces, 
there is now a larger circumference of enemies that are non-Arabic Islamic forces. And I think they're the ones I see in Ezekiel 38, 39. Then it talks about how when they are brought by God, this horde of warriors to this, and they're defeated on the mountains by God himself. So it's a contained explosion. If it's horrific, when it does rise, it's in the hands of God. It God controls it. God defeats it. And then it says that Israel will go and take the weapons of these enemies in chapter 39 of Ezekiel and burn them for fuel for seven hmm. years. Sounds like nuclear energy. Sounds like nuclear. And we know that the Russians have those light nukes. So I think to myself, well, you know, um, does that sound like the kingdom of the Messiah? You're going to burn weapons in the kingdom of the Messiah? I don't think so. Not in my understanding. It also says that every, it will take seven months to bury the bones. And if the bones, uh, you found one bone that's not buried as you're walking around, you have to go call the barriers and they'll come and do it. So it looks like there's maybe something radioactive about the bones. Again, does that sound like a kingdom of Messiah, radioactive bones in Christ's kingdom? I don't think so. So I see that again, prophecies pattern. There are patterns, Ezekiel 38, 39 has patterns of the Armageddon, the final conflict, the one that Jesus intervenes in himself personally, which is the focus of virtually all the battle scenes of the Bible, the, except this one, I th and there's also another prophecy, I think in uh, Psalm 83, that's already been fulfilled, it had to do with these uh, Arab nations, but even though the pattern may still be with us. So I think these are patterns of Armageddon, but this one, God takes the pattern of Armageddon's prophecy and builds in it distinctions that should attack attract our attention, and those distinctions show us that there's also some thing else being spoken of here at the same time and i think that may be this war we're talking about because um the the description of the players involved um and the hordes and the vastness of it do match what i'm seeing right now as far as this islamic world uh, and is russia involved well let's think about that is magog in fact behind the scenes when you look at the previous wars there are patterns like 50, like 1948, 67, 73. The Soviet Union armed all the enemies of Israel. They were socialist countries, Ba'athist countries. Uh, when Sadat took over Egypt before he signed the peace with uh, Israel or the armistice, he actually had to expel thousands of Soviet specialists who were in his army training them in intelligence gathering, in all kinds of forms of warfare, psychological warfare, kinetic warfare. He had to expel those guys to the Soviet Union. So Russia has a relationship with that world. Today, if I'm Putin and I've got all these Muslim friends and they're kind of you know hot-headed people, and, and I now think, hmm, you guys aren't playing ball with me on Ukraine. Come on, we're all like imperialists here. We're all first world powers. I decided to make a grab of a piece that speaks Russian uh, that's been part of our, you know, uh, country and this island where we've had our Navy parked for 200 years. And suddenly this is your reaction towards me. You try to weaken me. You don't respect me. Why don't you guys play with this for a while? Why don't you deal with this? Why don't you try to put that fire out? Why don't we make the price of oil go to $400 by lighting up the region you want to get reelected. You have an inflation problem. I'm sitting on barrels and barrels of it over here. So why don't we do that? And and and, and there's a pattern here uh, that Russia 
which considers itself a first world country, tends to play, um, it, it, it grabs hostage kind of what used to be called the third world, a developing nation, that matters to an industrial country that Russia is negotiating with and says, and when, and says, when you give me what I want, I will let go of this. They used to do that. Russia used to do that with Iran and Britain. You know, Iran was on the way to India. It was very important for Britain. So the Kazakhs would come down and grab Iran, and then England and Russia would negotiate. Russia would get what it wants from England, and they would let go of Iran. So the path to India would open again. So this is kind of one thing. And he, he also, I've noticed that attention is being deflected from Ukraine now to Israel. Mm. Also, funding is being uh, uh, deflected. Uh, you can't, you know, how much money is there to go around? So, so I think that maybe he he saw that you know he, he wasn't being respected. And he thought, okay, why don't I start a fire here? But the problem, of course, with these things is you can't really stop them once you get them going. They have a mind of their own. As far as the Ayatollahs in Iran, they were very much um, disturbed by the peace tr- deal that Saudi Arabia and Israel were yes. talking about. Yes, this has put that on the back burner, hasn't it? Normalization, dead in its tracks, because it has put that. Yeah, you know, usually the Ayatollah Khamenei doesn't come out and speak about worldly affairs. He lets his minions do that. He's he tries to remain like the holy man behind the scenes, but this time he lost his cool and he was making this speech saying, "This is a bad idea. Why we don't want American infiltration deeper into the Middle East because this pact would do that. You know, they would provide security to Arabia." We don't want normalization with Israel. And I think maybe if he did throw the match or if, you know, yeah, if the, he did throw the match um, to kill this deal, he was successful. And what he, his strategy was, wait a second, young prince of Saudi Arabia, is this really what the Muslim world wants? Let's see. Am I really the only one? No. He threw the match and the whole thing lifted up. And now the prince of Saudi Arabia, the custodians of the two holy mosques, can suddenly you know say uh, well no we were not in we're not in with this fight we're going to actually stand with israel they can't do that so so it was a very successful strategy if it did come from them and and the irgc in iran have developed increasingly an eschatological understanding of their place in history that they're the army of the mahdi that that they will bring about the universalism of Islam through the destruction of Jewry in Israel that will bring in the rightly guided one, their messianic figure, and then they will be his army as he establishes his caliphate over the world. And and the uh, uh, one of the leaders of Hamas made a huge speech today that uh, was published in, even in Jerusalem Post River, where he said that, that, that Israel was only the first target, that caliphate essentially was the goal. Mm-hmm. So... So suddenly you're seeing this like someone turned through a match and you're seeing this massive horde light up. And that does sound like the battle of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38, 39. And so what's interesting about that battle? So therefore, yes, this could be the beginning of one of the prophetic wars of the Bible. And Gog and Magog is a character that's mentioned the very end of Christ's kingdom after a thousand years when the father arrives himself once again we see here about Gog and Magog rising against Jerusalem which tells us that they're spiritual entities they're spirits maybe they haunt leaders and they are um 
the, this is therefore one of those attempts of the enemy to thwart the plans of God. God knew about this a long time ago, you know, and this, there was a, maybe a religion created for this day by the enemy to have this purpose of thwarting plans of God. And God is going ahead of us in the scroll of Ezekiel and saying, guys, do not worry. I've got the whole world in my hands. I got this thing. I am the one that's calling it out for judgment, and I'm the one that's defeating it. Because if you look at this Islamic militancy, which is a plague to the people of the Middle East, tons of people, Muslims and non-Muslims in the Middle East, don't want this. They can't get rid of it. Nobody can get rid of it. And there is no ideological counterforce that's preaching and changing their minds and hearts. The Western world is too secularized, and the Jewish world is secular. They can't establish meaningful communication to change the minds of religious people. So the only solution is if God uproots it. So it's perhaps possible, a conjecture, that since Israel is a servant of God, that God is using them essentially as bait, like a like light, like flies flying to a light, a moth going to a light. They're there and they naturally, you know, bring about this urge to, to, to for them to be destroyed because and and this is this is the judgment. This is that's coming over to the this force, this this philosophy. And what it says in Ezekiel's prophecy is that at the end of it, God is glorified in the land among his people and among the nations. God is glorified. And and so imagine if there is a miraculous victory because the enemy is so overwhelming that only God could deal with it. And, and Israel suddenly comes to a new place in her spirituality, which is also part of the prophecies leading to the second coming, that Israel's awakening to the Messiah is part of it. And the holy warriors, I mean, what is said in the Sukkot, this war, it says the survivors of the nations that attacked Jerusalem will go year after year to worship the king. The survivors, the enemies of Jerusalem will go to worship. So all these, you know, Islamic holy warriors, they're not crazy people. They're devout people who've been deceived by a power and principality. Many of them are people that are just religious, but that's all they had to go with. So when they come and they lose, the light bulb goes on in their minds and hearts, and they go, wow, it looks like God wasn't with us after all. God was with Israel. That's how they will understand their defeat, because they're religiously minded figures. And that will open them up to understanding what is in this book and what is behind Israel. So it may change the face of the Middle East spiritually and usher in a time of peace. And now the camera angle will point to the realm of the Prince of Greece and to the principality of the industrial nations from where I think the final enemy will rise with its AI, great armies, great technology, and it will be too strong for Israel to deal with. And that's why the Lord himself will have to enter the per That will be a massively powerful enemy. Um, but this is more still a regional. So just to finish, the 1948 war was very local. It was just the immediate people in that land. Then the war's circumference increased to the Arab nations around it. That was the second wars. The third one is this one. It goes now to the non-Arabic Islamic nations. And then the last one encompasses the world. So there's a there's kind of a going out. And then, and I think these are all echoes of Armageddon, really, going back in time. Ali, let me ask you, because you were planning a trip to uh, Israel the first week of December. Any yes. updates? What's happening with that? Oh, we don't care about any of this stuff. We're going. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, of course, everything has been put on hold for now. And we're waiting. 
to see what happens. You know, sometimes these things go away quickly and everything calms down. It really is, you know, and if you've been to Israel, you know, they're completely in charge there. But I think most likely we're going to be rescheduling it for next year. So sometime um, between September and December of next year uh, to keep the cost the same for the people who've already signed up. All right. Well, um, God and, willing, that'll happen and we'll have peace in the region. So- yeah, there are definitely, the Lord said there'll be wars and rumors of wars. But there are moments of, between the wars, you have the rumors of wars. And that's the peace part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thinkagainproductions.com. Thinkagainproductions.com. Ali, always a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard, for having me. A new Richard Serrett's A Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. 